Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? It is happy potluck. Yeah, that's where, that's clap worthy. Happy family service. My name is Jacob Dolezal. I run the Kids Point Ministry, and I am one of your deacons. Now, I know most of you already know who I am, but I always have this fear that someone new will come, and they'll walk in, and they'll be like, why is this pastor talking in voices during the scripture? <laughs> and so to save Nathan some face, I decided to introduce myself. Uh, hold on a sec. I'm getting word through my earpiece. Thanks, Brittany. Today is not just potluck. It's not just family service. It is a special 30th birthday. Miss Melissa Huntley, happy birthday to you. I, I've gotten word also that there is cake for Melissa. And that will be during potluck. So something to look forward to. No comment. So over the past couple weeks, we've been going over the story of Jacob and Esau, breaking all that down. Today, we get to move on to a new main character for a little bit. Now, we've touched on him. We've acknowledged his existence. He's one of Jacob's sons. Reuben? No. <laughs> Judah? Nope. Gad? No. Maybe I should narrow it down. He's got, he's got 12 of them. Uh, he's got a coat of many colors. Donny Osmond played him in the musical. <laughs> that is correct. We are going to be talking about Joseph, the dreamer. We actually have a picture of Joseph. No, 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 Dink, Dink, the other one. There we go. <laughs> it is... I don't, know how, I don't know how to move on after that. <laughs> All right, Dick, you can take it down. It'll be too distracting for everybody. <laughs> Joseph's story is one that most of us know. And it can teach us a lot. And a lot about what God, the God we serve. That being said, we're just going to tackle the first piece of the story. This week, we're going to just look at Genesis 37. We're going to read it. Then we're going to talk about it. All right, let's go. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. While he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a multicolored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than their other brothers, so they hated him and they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream that I had, guys. For behold, we are 
binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf stood up and the remaining remained standing. And then your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. And then his brother said to him, are you actually saying that you're going to rule over us? Are you going to rule us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he had yet another dream and informed his brothers and said, Behold, I, I had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to me. He also told it to his father as well as his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've had? Am I your mother and your brothers actually going to come down and bowed to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are your brothers not pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. And then he said, Go and see the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering around the field. And the man said to him, What you looking for? <laughs> he was a, you know, he was a farmer. <laughs> he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where the, they're pasturing the flock. And the man said, Oh, they move from here. They go, they say, let's go, let's go Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When he saw them from a distance, before he came closer to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, oh, here comes the dreamer. Now then, come, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these pits and we'll say, we'll say a vicious animal devoured him. We'll see what becomes of his dreams then. <laughs> but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands by saying, Guys, let's not take his life. He said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So that later Reuben might rescue him out of their hands and return him to their father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic and the multicolored one that was on him, they took, they took him and they threw him in a pit. And the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to have a meal. Typical thing you do after throwing somebody in a pit. <laughs> they ra they, as they raised their eyes, looked and beheld a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying lapadem, resin, balsam, and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And so Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there to uh, kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's, uh, let's sell him to Ishmaelites and we'll uh, lay out our hands on him. I mean, he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. Then the, some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him out and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites, for 20 shekels of silver. And so Joseph, they brought Joseph to Egypt. Now Reuben had missed this dinner time and returned to the pit. And behold, 
Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments and he returned to his brother and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? And so they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in blood. They sent the multicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, yeah, we found this. Uh, please examine it to see if maybe it's your son's or not. And then he examined it and said, this is my son's tunic. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been surely torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put on a sackcloth undergarment over his waist and mourned for his son for many days. Then all his sons and his, all his daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, Surely I will go to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the guard. So this is quite a tale that we've covered just so far. Joseph, young man of 17, all like my little brother in the back. Aw, he's not really awake. This is all just a dream to him. <laughs> anyway, Joseph, a young man of 17, has his whole life ahead of him and is favored by his father. This is a really great start for Joseph, except for the fact that his brothers hate him and because of that favoritism. Now, I got some quick observations before we get to what I actually want to talk about. The first thing that stood out to me was we have Jacob, who we've covered his life for weeks now. We've gone it over and over, and yet here we are again with favoritism and je jealousy having followed him like flies. This is causing massive problems for Jacob and his family. Nathan said for a couple weeks ago, like, you can have a favorite kid, just don't let them all know who it is. And someone should have made that very clear to Jacob. Because he, he painted a technicolor target on Joseph's back with that coat. After seeing all this turmoil that it's caused in his life, from beginning to where we're at now, you'd think that Jacob would have made more of an effort to prioritize peace amongst his children. The second thing that I observed was God's continued use of communicating through dreams. Dreams are such a fun thing. You get to wake up, talk about them, see what crazy things you've thought about. Uh, I remember one morning where I woke up and I was extremely happy. I don't know why. And the first thing I blurted out was, praise God for the hat. <laughs> and I have no idea why I was praising God for the hat. I don't know what hat I was praising him about. But, you know, it, it's fun. And so throughout Scripture, we see God use people's dreams as a means of communicating. We see him do this with Jacob back in Genesis 28 with the Jacob's Ladder dream. And so there's a precedent, even within this family, of God communicating to them through dreams. And while we see the Scripture where Jacob says it kept the matter in mind, so he th thought of Joseph's dream and kept mind of it, it's really disappointing that the brothers couldn't see past their own disdain to think that God could be communicating to them through their younger brother. Another observation that we see is God's continued use of using people out of like the birth order, what we see. So last story where Jacob and Esau, Esau is the older, Jacob's the younger, and Jacob kind of 
be, gets that, that blessing. Uh, you'd think that the, the oldest brother, which is our last piece, is Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn of all of Jacob's children. So normally you'd see Reuben in this position that Joseph's in, where he's keeping track and doing all the fatherly things. But Reuben's gotten himself into a bit of pickle. If you remember back in Genesis 35, Reuben had slept with one of Jacob's concubines, basically one of his stepmothers. So he's kind of in the doghouse. Whether it be the genuine affection that he had for Joseph to speak for his brothers or not, I'm sure there was a little thought in Reuben's mind of how getting back into his father's good graces. Now we get to the meat of what I wanted to talk about today. One key thing that I think can be an example for us today is the hate and jealousy that we see from Joseph's brothers. Now, I know a lot of people will look at this story and say, well, if if Joseph hadn't gone blabbing his mouth, maybe this wouldn't have happened to him. And I understand what they're saying. I agree that it was not the wisest thing to do to to share the dreams of people that hate you, bowing down to you, to the people that hate you. Despite all of that, though, who is the one with the issue in this scenario? The brothers. Is it Joseph's fault that Jacob favors him over his brothers? No. Is it Joseph's fault that God chose to give him those dreams? No. So why hate him? They are incredibly jealous, which leads them to hate. It's extremely sad to see that Hate is the path that they would go. Not just because it's their brother. But guys, remember what we've been talking about for weeks. Jacob and Esau. Jacob's children were there the day that Esau met with Jacob. They got to witness this reconciliation of brothers. They saw their uncle and their father weep and embrace each other after years apart. And Jacob actually gave Esau a reason to hate him. Joseph didn't. The reason that I focus on this particular aspect is it's so easy for us to slip into jealousy in this social media world we live in. You got people posting about their new cars, their new job, their fancy vacation, their magic cards they pulled randomly. And it's really easy to let a little jealousy start to seep in if we're not careful. Let's look at Leviticus 19. 17 through 18. This is amongst the various laws that God is giving Moses. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin against because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now what you're thinking is, this is talking about hate. Not jealousy. But what we can learn from Joseph's story is that jealousy leads to hate when it's kept unchecked. When you truly love your neighbor, you're able to look past what jealousy you have in your heart and be able to celebrate with them. But you're thinking, come on, Jacob. So what if I've leaned into my jealousy a little bit to the point that I hate this guy at work or school? I'll just avoid him. It'll be fine. Wrong. We're going to look at Psalm 37, 8 and 9. Cease from anger and abandon wrath. Do not get upset. 
it leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be eliminated. But those who wait for the Lord, they inherit the land. See, the reason that we need to keep a handle on our hearts is jealousy leads to hate, which leads to sin. It's one of those slippery slopes that we hear about. Look at Joseph's brothers. They hated him for a while. Then once they had this opportunity to act on the hatred, they went for it. We don't want to give our hearts to anything that could lead us down this road, to lead us to sin. We need to be better than that. John talks about this in 1 John 3, 11 through 15. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. We are to love one another, not as Cain, who was, evil, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we know that, we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. Hate can do nothing for us but bring us down and lead us to sin. We are to love one another, and while it may be hard, this is something that we need to keep a hold in our hearts. We don't want to be like Joseph's brothers, so full of jealousy that we can't look past temptation when it, an act of hatred could happen. I think one of the saddest pieces of this story is when they send word back to Jacob about Joseph's apparent death. They say, please examine it and see if it, this is your son's. They've totally disowned his existence. They don't even acknowledge that they're related to him. How sad that the hate has grown that far. The last piece that I wanted to talk about in regards to this section of scripture is the end of the chapter. For the second half of the chapter, we hear nothing from Joseph. He's simply a doll that his brothers throw around, put in a pit, and sell to some slavers. Is this it for Joseph? Is this the last that we see of him? No. Thankfully, we know the rest of the story, which will be covered in the next coming weeks. See, this isn't the end of Joseph's story, but just the beginning. Even though his brothers hated him, even though they threw him in a pit, even though they sold him into slavery, God had a plan for Joseph's life. Let's look at Psalm 105, 17 through 19 for a little insight. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They forced his feet into shackles. He was put in irons until the time come to, that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord refined him. God used this time to refine Joseph, to further craft him into the man that God wanted him to be. Joseph probably thought he had some idea of what God was going to do, given that he had those dreams of his sibling and father bowing down to him. So you could imagine it was quite a surprise when he ends up in chains walking to Egypt. Similarly to Joseph's story, we can look back at Jacob's story and recognize that, recognize that we don't have a grasp of God's plan. Even as intelligent or understanding as we are, we can't grasp how God will put things in motion and weave things together. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We serve a God who is higher than us. And that should be extremely encouraging, considering what we were just talking about, our proneness to hate and jealousy. Now, why was this aspect something of Joseph's story standing out to me? I see a lot of times in our lives today that as bad things happen to us, our initial reaction is to feel that pain, to think, oh my gosh, my life is over, have a pity party, or just totally shut down. But we serve a God who is greater. And Deuteronomy 31.8 says, and the Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Context-wise, this is Moses, Moses giving Joshua instruction and encouragement to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But his words of the Lord still hold true for us. The Lord will not abandon us. He did not do it to Joseph, nor did he do it to Jacob in the midst of his craziness. The weight of this world that we live in today is heavy, and it continues to get heavier but we have an almighty backer, a safe place to go to recharge in the midst of chaos. The Lord is our, fa our knowing father, holding out his hand to us, his children, and we can just trust and follow him. We certainly can't expect to understand just how his plans or ways will work out, no matter our insight. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their watch without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We need to find peace in the fact that he is in control and we are not. That's a message I need to hear more than I need to share it with you guys. He is the one in control, not us. I got one last scripture that I want to look at in terms of uh, how the purpose of God's way and how we find hope in that. That's going to be Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. You guys all know that one. And how could you not take that verse as a verse of hope? God has a plan for you to give you a hope and a future. But wait a second. Was that verse written to you? For us? No, it wasn't. So why do we claim that it was? This was written for the Israelites. Now let's read this verse in its context with the surrounding verses. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. 
These people were going and be put into captivity for 70 years. They needed to know that God had a plan for them. God reminded them that he had a future in mind for them. He told them that he had not forgotten about them. This verse is extremely encouraging, but not because it was written to us, but because it was a verse that shows the character of the God we serve. He does not forget about us. He does not abandon us, but remembers and cares for us. Look at the beauty of verse 14 where God says, I will let myself be found by you. This should move us in a deep way as we can feel lost in this world on our journeys. And yet God is one who allows us to find him. Then the God we serve takes care of his people in the midst of the chaos of their world. He did it for the Israelites. He did it for Joseph and he will do it for us. All right, so now we get to our conclusion piece, our takeaway from Genesis 37. We need to be better than how Joseph's brothers acted in their jealousy to the point of murderous intent. We can use it, take this story and use it as an example of how not to react with that jealousy. Joseph's life was not over, even though he may have felt that it was happening in the midst of the sin of his brothers. For us, this can be an encouraging reminder of the God we serve and his plan that is far beyond our comprehension. Mark has joked with me in the past about always using Old Testament stuff in messages and in devotions that I've done. But I think what, what gravitates me to this is that these stories paint God's character in motion. You get to see that God is love, God is just, God is righteous. And then you understand there's a depth to it that we just can't really fathom. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for stories like this, that you can speak to us through it. I ask that you would encourage us to find peace in you and just remind us that you are always with us no matter what is going on in our worlds, you are a true God. In your son's name I pray, amen.